Well, good morning, everyone. Good to have you with us. We're continuing our series, Heaven is for Real, uh, this morning. And uh, we got the, we've had a couple of weeks of, you know, kind of good stuff. And Matt and Emily got married a couple of, couple of Sundays ago, and that was just a, a wonderful time. And then this past week, we found out that uh, our oldest daughter, Caitlin, and her husband, Scott, are moving back to New Jersey from where they presently live in, in Denver, Colorado. Now, I got to tell you, uh, needless to say, we are, we are thrilled beyond words. I know Marianne is absolutely elated about having her daughter near her again, and I'm ecstatic over the fact that we won't have to buy expensive plane tickets to visit the Colorado anymore, and uh, that's, to me, that's like just a great thing. But last summer, we were visiting uh, Caitlin and Scott in, in Denver, and uh, a short time before our visit, Scott's sister and her husband uh, bought a home. This is my son-in-law's sister. And uh, to say it was a fixer-upper would be like saying the Liberty Tower is a big building. Uh, you know, huge, gross understatement. Well, we went to see the, the house just as they had started uh, putting it under renovation. And uh, now i got to tell you, uh, Scott's sister... And her husband, they have four boys, right? Four? Four boys. And uh, I remember thinking two things as we walked through the house. And the pictures that you're seeing right now are, uh, these are kind of the good pictures, I think. Uh, it, when we were there, it was, they, as I said, they started to tear things apart. This is one of the main rooms that uh, I guess they were living in. And uh, Anyway, uh, I, I remember saying two things when I was going through the house. Um, uh, one would be... Uh, the how I could almost hear the house speaking out in a loud voice and saying, uh, "You think I like looking like this? You think I, you think I enjoy what I've become?" And, and I could almost hear from the foundation of the house crying out, saying, "Would you please do me a favor? Get a big bulldozer and run it right through the center of my supporting beams, and let this whole mess that I've become come crashing down and just put me out of my misery. Please do that, and my frustration right now. Would you please do that?" I could almost hear that happening. And then I thought something else. I said, "You know, really, can you tell what young kids are going to be when they grow up?" But I'm reasonably sure that these four young men will all become carpenters because it's going to take this entire family all working together half their lifetime to make this place even livable. Yet, Scott, my son-in-law, kept saying to us, but my sister has this vision of what it's going to look like. She, she keeps insisting that it's going to be beautiful. She sees the backyard as something great and grand. And as he spoke, I could tell there was this mixture of hope and despair in his voice. And, you know, he didn't want to think his sister and her husband were foolish, but uh, I think maybe he wasn't quite sure, but I was. I remember saying to Marianne, these are really, really wonderful people, and I am so glad that our daughter married into a really wonderful Christian family. Too bad they're crazy. Uh, that's a shame. Uh, let's just pray that the gene doesn't get passed on to our eventual grandchildren. Um, well, they started working on it, and uh, about f five months later, between my son-in-law Scott, his, his father, his brother-in-law, and a couple of other people, working mostly in evenings and mostly on weekends, it became this. 
Yeah, right? Now, I got to say this. I've seen some pretty dramatic transformations of spaces before. We look in the back. Those of you who have been around the Crossing Church for a while know that uh, we've had a pretty nice transformation in here. We didn't have the balcony. The balcony is gorgeous. The, uh, uh, you know, I know. Everybody's ooing and eyeing. Very nice. Right. I know. You can't, even, you can't believe it, right? Now, I, as I say, we've seen some transformations around here, but uh, I got to tell you, uh, I think of all the transformations I've seen, and soon we're going to have another one downstairs that's really coming well. The Children's Center, you're going to see that within the next four weeks. But I think of all the transformations that I have seen, I think this one, for sheer shock value, ranks near the top or is at the top. Really, really beautiful. A room that I would probably not allow my dogs to spend the night in for fear that something would creep out of the walls and snatch them away has become a comfortable Really stunning family room. A backyard that was a mass of weeds and refuse has become a field of dreams for some young boys. Did you see it? Pretty cool, huh? And I'm, listen, I'm not sure, but I have this sneaking suspicion that Scott's sister, some, at some point, quietly said to herself, who's crazy now? <laughs> right? Who's crazy now? Do you ever say to yourself, uh, I think I know what I'm supposed to be. I think I know what it would take to get there. But at the end of the day, I feel like I always come up a day late and a dollar short. Do you ever say that to yourself? It's as if, you know, my body kind of knows what to do, but it just can't do it. I feel like our house was designed to be filled with laughter and joy and family. But, you know, it's, it's a contractor's challenge. Like a planet whose crust shifts and quakes and brings misery and death, like we just spoke about. All bound by decay, all hoping for release, all hoping for freedom. I have always felt as if I was designed for something better. Have you ever said that to yourself? Ever? Ever feel like that? Why do we feel like that? Why do we feel like that? What, what exactly are we waiting for? And how do we ever get there? How can we get there? I thought about that house before the renovation. I thought about our communities. I thought about our lives. I thought about our world. And you know what? I looked in the scripture, and the Bible has one word for all those things. You know what the word is? It's in Romans 8. Frustrated. Frustrated. This world, this earth, our communities, our lives. Romans 8.20 says this. The creation, which means everything, was subjected to frustration. The Greek word, matiates, literally means frailty, weakness, depravity. Something that fails to reach the result that it was always designed for. And you know what? I think we understand that. I think we can understand that. We've been talking about heaven and above everything else. Uh, you know, we've been saying that hell, heaven is, is a healing place. It's a place when everything that is broken and cracked and fractured is going to heal. It's a place where the pain and sorrow of this world caused by the fact that we never can feel fully whole and often resort to chasing after a thousand things that seem like they're going to be the filler. This is the filler for the hole in our lives. You know, and, and, and we find out that the filler just causes the hole to go deeper a lot of times. It just gets worse and worse. And you know what? We keep chasing and chasing. 
But heaven's going to be a place where that's a thing of the past. And for the very first time, we are going to experience unencumbered communion with God and communion with others forever and forever. No more frustration. No more that word that characterizes everything in creation. The planets, the stars, our lives, our world, our communities, no more. Never, ever again. And we will be loved forever. You know, at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we looked at that chapter in our last series, Gifted. Uh, It says this, the very last verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says this, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is, it's love. Why is love the greatest? You know why love is the greatest? Because love is the only one that's going to last forever. When we get to heaven, faith will instantly become what? It's going to become sight. And hope will be fully and forever realized, but love will last forever. Faith and hope are not what eternity is about. It's not what heaven is about. But love is. We will see God and we will experience his unfettered love forever, for eternity. But for now, we wait, which equals what? Frustration. Frustration. That's what Paul said. We as Christians, you know, uh, we share a belief with many Eastern religions and with many, many mystical uh, philosophies that, like us, believe in eternity. A place where there will be an end for all suffering, as Lee just read for us from Revelation. We believe that, and they believe that. But here's the difference their understanding is when you die, You go off into eternity and you lose individual consciousness. You lose the sense of your personhood. You lose the sense of yourself. And you move out literally into the collective universal reality and just become one with everything else, with everything else that was once alive. And I think about that. You know, I'm thinking about that this week and I say, do I really want, do I really want, want that? Do I really want to lose who I am, my individuality? Don't I really want a me who is unconditionally loved and unconditionally embraced and whole? I don't want to be lost. I want to be found. I want to be whole. I want to be the most magnificent version of myself. (laughs) That's really what I want. Think of yourself in your very best moments and magnify that a hundred thousand times. That's what I want to be. And I'll bet that's what you want to be too. That, that's, that's what we want. We want to be what we were supposed to be. We look for that. We wait for that. But in the main, meantime, we struggle with frustration. Something went wrong. We see just the opposite happening. In Genesis chapter 3, it tells us that Men and women wanted to be their own masters, and everything immediately began falling apart. We became alienated from God. We became alienated from each other and from God's creation. And we began falling apart in every conceivable way. It's the curse. Psychologically, we no longer knew who we were. We no longer knew where we belonged or who we belonged to or who we should relate to. Socially, men and women who were to live in a mutually satisfying and complementary relationship, they went to war with each other that day. Race, 
fights against race. Do we need any more examples than this week? Race, you know, anger and hatred. Classes form. Bat- they battle each other physically, our, bo- our bodies, which were meant to live forever like our souls. They began to die, and those souls, they began to dry up. Every day, every single day, we go to the mirror and we look in the mirror, and you know what we see? We see ourselves fading away. Fading away. We see ourselves sagging and decomposing. Now, I don't think that every single day. I say, man, you're decomposing. The decomposition is really taking hold last night. But over time you do, when you look at pictures of yourself, you go, oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding me, right? We, we, but we want to retain it. We want to retain our newness. So we diet, we work out, we use cosmetics to hide the inevitable decay. But you know what it becomes, inevitably what that becomes? It's a, it's a demonstration of futility. And we are left frustrated. We want to look 18 because we were beautiful then, but it never happens. We're fading. We are fading. Everything is decaying. You know, you catch fish from the sea. And what do you do with them? What do fishermen do with it immediately? Well, they, they, they put it in refrigerated tanks. And if you lived before refrigeration, you put it on ice. And if you lived before ice, you salt it down. When Peter, James, and John used to catch, make their catch in the Sea of Galilee and they wanted to send, send it south of Jerusalem, what did they do? They soaked it in, in salt. Because if they didn't do that, you know what? Pretty soon it would decay within a day or two, and it would become inevitable. Nature is decaying. We find ways to fight it back, to push it back, but it's decaying. It's inevitable. I read that the sun one day is going to burn itself out this week. That's the quality of this present, not within the next couple of months or anything, but it's, it is on the way, I got to tell you. Uh, that's the, qu- the quality of the world we live in. And you know why? Because we're under evil, because the world is burdened down with evil and sin, and things are falling apart. Everything is subject to decay. It means nothing in nature ever seems to get to its goal. It never reaches its peak. And things that look like they're getting there and kind of falling together eventually fall apart. We are subject to decay. Everything goes to pieces. And if you let it stay there long enough, everything you see will. It will fall apart. You're falling apart. I'm falling apart. Romans chapter 8 and verse 22 tells us even the earth and all of creation, you know what it is? It's falling apart and it's letting us know. It says all of creation is groaning. It's groaning. You you know what the avalanche was in the Himalayas last week? You know what the earthquake was? You know what it was? It was the earth groaning. It was the earth falling apart. It's frustrated because of, the Bible says, our sin and our rebellion. The nature of the world is falling apart because it's all under evil, because the world is burdened down with evil and sin and things fall apart. And we abuse the earth, and listen, we don't help things, but that's not fundamentally why the earth is falling apart. Fundamentally, there was a cosmic meltdown that was put in gear by our first parents deciding to drive off-road. Go to the beach, you know, little grains of sand that we love. Oh, this is, a, you know, Matt and Emily said, you know, the sand where they were, it was just so white. And it just like, it was like one of those beds, the Tempur-Pedic beds. And you just kind of just sink in there. Oh, it's so comfortable, you know. Guess what? Every single one of those little grains of sand was a mountain. It was part of a mountain at one point. But it started falling apart. 
Things do not come together. Things fall apart. Nothing in the world works quite right because we have refused to take our right place in it. So I guess, I guess, I don't know, I guess we can dispense with the idea that when things go wrong, it should be a big shocker, right? That, you know, things should go smoothly, things should go as planned, as desired, you know, that should be the default. Folks, I don't care what we think, what should be, let me tell you what is the default, falling apart. That's the default. We say things should go right for us, but often they don't. What we really should say, you know, you know what the better, the better position is? What we really should say? If I have someone who loves me and cares for me, in spite of myself, if I have a house to hide in when the rain comes beating down, if I have a job to buy some food and occasionally I'm able to go out to the theater, I know I am experienced God's grace and I am thankful for that. But it's not enough. We don't say thanks. I mean, sometimes, but mostly we don't. See, I think I'm owed those things. Or, or, or that's the way things should work normally. But if I think that in this decaying world, you know, things should go well, let me tell you what I've done. I have set myself up for bitter, bitter disappointment. And whoever's around me, you better watch out. Because what I'm doing is I expect you to provide this for me. You should provide this. This spouse should be doing this. These kids should act like this. And folks, i got to tell you something. You're looking at that from other people. Number one, you're going to destroy them. And you're never going to be satisfied. Never. If that's your default. Romans 8 tells us that sin destroyed everything. And it moved all of creation into a crooked trajectory. There was a time when men... Love to be with God, now we run from Him. Work is difficult, our bodies die, our relationships are tough. And yet, having said all that, still buried deep in our souls is the knowledge of how things should be, how they once were, before the entire creation was subjected to frustration. Paul said that right now we and all of creation have no choice. We have no choice but to submit to one degree or another to frustration as we wait. As we wait. You know, about the only good thing I was thinking this week about frustration is the fact that it it develops in you a burning desire for liberation, for non-frustration, for freedom, you know, from freedom that, that, that frustration bounds us up in. You know, when people today get on rickety boats to flee the frustration and decay of their present state, of their present country, of their present situation, you know what they're looking? They are looking for freedom. It rings in the heart of every human being. We say, well, those people, what are they, crazy getting on those boats? They want to be free. They want to stem the decay in their families. And so they get on boats and they say, well, it's 50-50. We're going to make it across this ocean. 50-50. And they're willing to do that. See, it's in us. It's in our hearts. You You can't cut it out. And then we wonder why we struggle. We wonder why we struggle. Folks, we struggle because we intuitively knew, no, we are not what we should be. We want so much more. We want to be liberated. We want to be free. We want to be loved in an unrestrained way. And we want to be able to love as we should. 
We wonder why. Hey, stop wondering. The reason we're frustrated is that we were created for someone else and we were created for some place else. All of creation, and you need to understand this, all of creation right now is, is groaning. It's groaning. It's waiting to be renewed. That's the bad news. That's the downside. Flip the coin. One day God's going to renew everything. One day God will renew everything. In Revelation chapter 21, we look at the biblical view of heaven. We see that it's it's a healing world, like I said. And in fact, at the end, uh, we see heaven literally, and I mentioned this last week, we introduced it, heaven coming down to earth. It says in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 2, then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. What is heaven? Heaven is, is the environment that God lives in. It's the environment where his glory is displayed. It, it's God coming down. Heaven is an atmosphere, as it were, of the glory of God that heals everything and anything it comes in contact with, anything it touches. He makes all things new. And in this particular passage, that word new comes up again and again and again in the whole passage. He said, then I saw a new heaven and I saw a new earth. Now he's talking about heaven, right? This vision that he saw, a new heaven and a new earth. Now, let me, let me just take, take a step back. In the Greek, there are two main words. When you're talking about the word new, when it's translated new in the English, no matter what your version is, it's usually one of two main Greek words. And they're used all the time. One of them is, is kenos and the other one is neos. Now, the word neos means something which has just recently appeared. It, it wasn't here, but now it is. Oh, it's new. Yeah, okay, we get that. It's, it's something that, that, it's talking about time. It's new in time. It's young. Something that is neos means it's just appeared. It hasn't been along very long. Oh, you have a new baby. Yeah, she's four months old. Oh, you have a new baby. Okay, young, brand new, wasn't here, now here. Neos. But the word kenos, which is translated new also, it's talking about something else. It's not so much talking about duration or newness. It's talking about quality. Kenos denotes, uh, denotes new of that which is unaccustomed, that which is unused, not new in time, not recent, but new as to form, new as to quality. It's something that is different in nature from what is contrasted to old. You know what Jesus said to his disciples? Example. Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 13 and verse 34. He said, a new kenos, a new commandment I give you, love for one another. So they had never heard that before, right? Oh, love one another. We we, we thought we were supposed to hate one another. But now you're telling us we should love one another. Oh, it's new. That's not what he meant at all. In Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, what did it say? Love your neighbor as yourself. They were little boys, these little Jewish boys running around. They had heard that a hundred thousand times. So when Jesus comes to them and says, you know what, a new commandment I give you, love one another, it didn't mean something that was just coming on the scene now. This was new in the sense it was a marker of their brotherhood. And the fact that they should love each other as I love you and I'm going to lay down my life for you. See, that was new in the sense of it was, it was different quality totally different quality. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, what? Kenos creation, not neos, a kenos creation. The old has gone, the new has come. 
Does that mean that when we trust Christ, when we are in Christ, if you walk down the street, you see Bob, you haven't seen Bob in six months, you say, hey, Bob, how you doing? He goes, who are you? I don't know who you are. Of course, Bob would know who we are. Bob's not going to say, who are you? I don't know you. It means that the center of our life has changed, and so the healing has begun, and so we have started to become a qualitatively different person on the inside. Not unrecognizable, not a new person in that there's no connection to the old. There's a new quality. There's something grand and glorious. There's a newness of quality that's being built in. Now, whenever God is near, whenever God's power is being administered, you know, what, you know what's always present? Kainos. Always present. That's what we want. That's what I want. That's what you want. That's what we need. And we want the newness to last forever and to never stop and to always increase in measure. And you've experienced this. Everybody here, if you're a Christian, at one time or another, you've experienced this. You read scripture. You've read it 50 times. And all of a sudden you read and you go, what is that? I've never seen that. Before. Have I never read this? Pa- I think I've read this. Pa- in fact, I know I've read this passage before. But all of a sudden, it affects you in a brand new way. Have you ever experienced that? Of course you have. And you read it and you say, this is brand new. Neos. No, it's not. It's, this isn't, they, 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 you know, you say, they must have slipped this in someplace. This is a new Bible. Am I using somebody else's Bible? This is a new version. They slipped that in sometime in the last six months. No, they didn't. See, it's been there. It's not brand new as to duration or time. But you know what? All of a sudden, the quality is taking a step up for you. All of a sudden, that which, you know, oh, yeah, it's kind of nice. All of a sudden, it's like, what? This is devastating. This is glorious. This is challenging. And all of a sudden, it hits you. See, Kenos, there's a new quality. There's a new quality. God does stuff like that. (laughs) He does stuff like that both in the spiritual and in the material world. There is a newness, the Bible says, there is a newness that's on its way, that's yet to come. In Revelation chapter 21 and verse 5, John heard, heard these words, or he spoke these words. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything, wow, Kenos. I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and these words are true. The future heaven, folks, we talked about the present heaven a few weeks ago. The future heaven is not a start from scratch, brand never before seen, neos new. Heaven does not mean so much an alternative to this world. It means the rehabilitation of this present world, the world that we are on is going to be renewed. It is going to be rehabbed. Right? Coffins out there? Right, you guys, contractors? Huge rehab project. It's like taking an old falling apart house, tearing it down to the studs, and making it brand new. Now, I just have a real brief time left. And what I want to do, I want to answer a couple of questions. The first question, you know, what happens, what happens to the old earth? What happens to the old earth? Now, look, never once in Scripture... Does God say that he renounces what he had previously made? In fact, he never abandons. 
He resurrects. See, God is about resurrections. He never runs away. Instead, you know what he does? He renews. He's not going to abandon his creation. He is going to, the Bible says, listen, this is so important. He is going to restore it. Look at the vocabulary in Scripture. Look at the vocabulary. Uh, uh, Reconcile. It's a reestablishment of a prior damaged relationship. These are all words that are in the English, but they have uh, you know, counterparts in, in the Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. Reconciliation, you know, damaged relationship, getting it back together. Redeem, to buy back what was formerly owned. Restore, to bring back to original condition. Recover, to return to a normal state. Return, to come back or go back to a place you've already been. Renew, to make new all over again. Regenerate, to build to a better, higher, or more worthy state. Resurrect, to make alive that which was dead. And notice how the words are all kind of the same and that they have the same prefix. R-E, re, okay? Something that was marred or ruined, or destroyed, is going to be saved. It's going to be reconstituted. This is a key understanding of the eternal heaven. Randy Alcorn wrote this. He said, Christ died not merely to make the best of a bad situation. He died so that mankind, earth, and the universe itself would be renewed to forever proclaim his glory. Which, by the way by the way, fits in with the Genesis plan, not for nothing. God didn't create man and woman to, uh, you know, he didn't create the earth and put the man and the woman and all the animals and everything on the earth and then say, okay, that's done. Now come up and live with me. What did he do? What did God do? He came down to where men and women were. That was Genesis. That was the garden. That's what will be once again. God's dwelling place is not replaced. It is relocated when the new Jerusalem is brought down to earth. That's what John said. And he will come down and he will live in our new kenos, our new home forever. Someone said this, this is a picture of God's ultimate plan, not to take us up to live in a realm made for him, but to come down and live with us in the realm that he has already made for us. God will not abandon his fallen original creation. You know what he's going to do? He's going to salvage it. And he sacrificed his own son to save the original plans. Because the original creation, what, 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 was, what was the pronouncement of the original creation? And God looked at all that he had made and he said, it was, it was good. We botched it up. We did. We're going to have another chance in Christ. Because it's going to be restored. God is not some nutty professor whose invention blew up in his face and now he's all blackened and his hair's behind him and everything and he takes up the whole thing and he throws it in the trash and he's going to start all over again. What a weak God of you. What a weak view, excuse me, a weak view of God that we have. If we believe that, you know what? Well, God obviously can't do anything with this mess. Obviously, he's going to have to start all over again. The Bible says that God will not surrender the earth to the garbage can of history. You know what God does? He reclaims. He salvages. He takes those who have made such a mess of things that they stand and they look over the chasm into the smoldering wreck 
that they have made of their lives and in their situations, and they're saying to themselves, man, I'd be lucky to get out of here alive. I, you know, I just get out of here alive. You know, I, if I don't lose everything, I'm ahead of the game. You know, well, all I want to be at this point, I just want to be, you know, like the prodigal son, I want to be a servant in my father's house. If I could just be a servant, if, if, if that could ever work out where I could do that, I would certainly do that. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that this God who reclaims the earth and reclaims human lives sees us take one step towards him, and he runs to meet us, and he covers our nakedness with a royal robe. And he puts sandals on our bruised and bleeding feet. And he takes the signet ring, the family ring that says, I'm a member of this family. And he puts this on our hand once again. He will do that for you. He will do that for you. The Bible says in 1 John that he came to what? Destroy the works of the devil. Works that we once trafficked in all the time. He says, all who are sexually immoral, all the idolaters, all the adulterers, those who have stolen goods, those who have stolen reputations, all who are greedy, all you alcoholics, all you drug users, all who have used their tongues to destroy, all the shady businessmen, he bids everyone to come. And he wrote to the church at Corinth, and he said this, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The renewal has already begun. And when we yield to God... He begins the process that will end in a complete renewal of our lives, this world, and all of creation. Because that's what he does. That's his business. That's not his job description. Right at the top. In the same way that he redeems lives... He's going to sanctify the original earth. Will the old earth pass away? Yes, it will. But to a final end, no, it won't. It will be raised. It will be reconstituted. And we will have a new glorious earth. You know, the disciples one time came to Jesus. They were doing a little self-assessment. And, you know, they're looking at their lives. They left their business. They left everything. It's like, you know, they're going on these preaching trips. And they're eating out of the fields. They're sleeping with a rock under their head. And they're going, gee, I don't know. I'm not sure this is all it's cracked up to be, you know, what I signed up for with this. And so, so Peter, you know, Peter's always the guy who's the spokesman. He kind of steps up, and everyone's like, say, wishes that they could speak. But Peter always does. And he says in Matthew chapter 19, at verse 27, he says this, We have left everything to follow you. What then? What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, listen. Listen, this is key. Truly I tell you, At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. We're not going into that second part right now, next week. Come next week, we're going to talk about 
What, what are we doing in heaven? Who are we going to meet in heaven? Uh, are there buildings? Are there pets? Are there people? What's going on? We're going to talk about that next week. He said, you know what? At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious thrones, you who have followed me will be judging. He didn't say, you know, at the destruction of all things. He didn't say at the demolition of all things. He said at the renewal of all things, we will be renewed All of humanity will be renewed to trust in Christ, and we will live on a renewed earth. Now, the word he uses is a very interesting word. That's why I said this this verse is key. You know, some people hate writing in their Bibles. Break that, okay? If you got a weirdness about it, just do it for this one time. Take a pen and underline that that one verse because this is a key verse. It's a he uses a compound word, pelagenesia. Two words together, compound word. Palin, which means again. And uh, genesia, or genesis, which means birth. What Jesus is saying is that there will be a new genesis, a new birth of the old earth. And when John wrote that he saw the first heaven and the first earth pass away, it does not mean, and he didn't mean to say that they were going to go out of existence. No. No. Instead, there will be a change through their present condition. There's a present condition, but there's going to be a great qualitative change. And and you know what? In that sense, the old earth passes away. John Piper pointed out that just as the caterpillar passes away, you know, you see a caterpillar, and all of a sudden you go back and say, oh, it's a butterfly. Well, the caterpillar didn't really pass away. You know, the caterpillar is still there. The butterfly is not neos. It's not something brand new. It's only, oh, gee, look at this. It's always, the caterpillar has always been there. He says, even as a, the butterfly emerges, there will be a real continuity, a real connection between the old and between the new. We know that's true. Jesus said it. What happens to the old earth? It will be renewed. Where is the new heaven? Second question, then we got to close. Where's the new heaven? Um, as we said in week two of this series, the present heaven is a temporary, I believe, is a temporary lodging place. It's a waiting place until Christ returns and the body, bodily resurrection, you know, happens and, and you know, Christ is going to, you know, return. He was the first fruits and now we're all going to follow in like manner and he's going to take whatever molecules are left and he's going to resurrect a new body and the new heaven is going to be our eternal home. It is there in that future heaven where we will live with each other and we will live with the Lord forever and ever. There, the great redemptive promises of God will finally and fully happen, fully be revealed, finally, forever, fulfillment. So the question is, again, uh, where is the new heaven? Where is it located? Folks, you're sitting on it. You're sitting on it right now. Revelation chapter 21 says it's right here. 21 verse 1 says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first, first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, what? Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, listen, God's dwelling place is now among the people. 
and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10 says this, we're talking about God's plan. It's going to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. To bring unity, heaven and earth. Unity. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 21, it says that heaven must receive him unto who? Must receive Christ until the time comes for God, here it is, to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. You mean the earth? Yeah, I mean the earth. God's very presence, his dwelling will be with us, and wherever God dwells with his people, that is heaven. Anthony Hokema said this, he said, the new Jerusalem does not remain in a heaven far off in space, but it comes down to the renewed earth. There the redeemed will spend eternity in resurrection bodies. So heaven and earth, now separated, will then be merged. The new earth will also be heaven, since God will dwell there with his people. God is not willing to surrender any ground to the enemy, ultimately. Not now, not ever, not you. He's not willing to surrender you. You know, in The Passion of the Christ, one of my favorite movies, uh, I can't watch it that much. I mean, it's just, but uh, it is one of my, my favorites. And uh, um, Jesus is heading towards Calvary. You remember the scene, those of you who saw it? And uh, he's under this enormous weight. He's been beaten. I mean, you know, uh, the beating that the Romans would give prisoners, oftentimes, uh, they'd never make it to the cross. They would, they would die right there. And he's, he's, he's going through the streets of Jerusalem, and he falls down under the weight of the cross. And his mother, you know, Mary, comes out from the crowd, and she wipes his brow. You know, and she's looking at him. She just doesn't know what to say. And he looks at his mother, and he says, Behold, I make all things kenos. I make all things new. And it comes right out of Revelation 21.5 where he's speaking about the new earth upon which a renewed humanity will live in resurrected bodies and it will all be made possible because of the great sacrifice of Christ. Even then, see, even then I believe. Even though, you know, that verse is in Revelation. Did, did he say it on the way to the cross? I don't know. But I do know this. I do know that even then, he saw what would be. Even then, he saw the beauty of what the mess would become. Even then, he had a picture of what it would all be when the renewal of all things finally appeared. See, he knew. Even then, he was looking at you. Down the corridors of time, not as you are, but as you are becoming and as you will one day be. See, he saw that. All creation is one day going to be renewed. The Bible says it. It's very plain. It's all going to be renewed. And God is going to live with all those who call Christ Lord forever and ever ever. 
Amen. Father, these uh, truths we look forward to, and we pray that they would change our lives right here and right now. And they should, and, and sometimes they don't. And I thank God it's because it just doesn't, maybe because we didn't understand it before, but if we do, it's, it's got to change us. It's got to, it's got to make us hopeful. The fact that you're making everything qualitatively new and that you're going to do that with the earth and you're going to do that with the stars that are running out of energy and you want to do that with us right now, starting right now, is, is an amazing truth. It's an amazing truth, God. I pray that we would get both our arms around that truth. God, if there's someone here Maybe they, they've never grasped that truth. They don't know the love of, of God through Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his resurrection. They don't know that. I pray that they would say today that they would understand, you know what? I have no standing before a holy God. But because of what Christ has done on the cross, I believe that I can be acceptable to God. I believe his death on the cross paid for the sins that God could not look at, could not countenance, could not welcome into his heaven, that they have been paid for. And this day forward, I'm determined to stumble forward, to stumble forward in a, in a Godward direction. Father, if, they, if they've never said that, they've never come to an understanding, I pray they would do it today. And for the rest of us, God, may the truth of eternal heaven as we look at it this week and now next week fully uh, that would fill our hearts with hope and with joy and with thanksgiving for all that you have done it's in Christ's name we do pray amen